Are you paying more than you should for things that don't really bring you peace? Struggling to meet your financial goals? We can help. Hi, I'm Diane Freeby of Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, inviting you to learn how making little changes to daily spending habits can make a big difference. Schedule a free financial checkup today at NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. That's NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It's time for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish football fix. You already share their values. Why not share in their benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Ladies and gentlemen. Chuck Freebie and Angelo DiCarlo. Notre Dame closed the book on the regular season, writing a final chapter at Stanford that included many familiar themes from throughout the regular season. Slow starts, road struggles, turnovers, and then easily conquering weaker opponents. Now at 9-3, and three, Notre Dame has a month to write the epilogue to this season, which still may have its share of twists and turns. Welcome to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Football Fix, Notre Dame FCU, where you bank does matter. I'm Chuck Freebie. And I'm Angel DiCarlo. Coming up on this edition of The Fix, we'll hear from Marcus Freeman regarding his coaching staff and expectations for their job performance moving forward. We'll look back on the season and see where you were most disappointed or upset with the Irish. We'll look ahead to the bowl game, potential opponents, and who may or may not suit up for Notre Dame. And we'll have our Focus on Faith segment featuring Notre Dame alum and local television legend Terry McFadden, will be taking off the microphone in February after an on-air career that spans five decades. Let's start with a quick programming note, Chuck. This is our final show of the regular season. We will do a bowl special Monday, December 18th at 7 p.m. Obviously, we will find out who Notre Dame will face in that bowl game coming up this weekend after all the conference championships are played out and everything happens on Sunday where they make all the selections and everything like that. So Notre Dame checks out of the regular season at 9-3. and three. They beat Navy, Tennessee State, NC State, and Central Michigan to start the season. Lost to Ohio State 17-14. Turnaround beat Duke the next week. Then lost to Louisville. Beat USC, beat Pitt. Lost at Clemson. Finishing up with wins over Wake. And then Stanford, 56-23 to on Saturday. We'll talk about that game a little bit more later, but I think the pressing news of the day comes from the fact that Marcus Freeman met the media today, and a lot of the talk was about coaching. Absolutely. I mean, right out of the gate, you asked that first question to see where things stood with the members of the coaching staff and who may choose to leave. But if Marcus Freeman had his way, would all of his staff be back? It was a way of probing whether or not Jared Parker would indeed return as offensive coordinator. So here's Marcus Freeman on the status of his coaching staff entering next season. I have a, a strong belief in the coaches that we have in this football program and, and would love all of them to be back. There's there's obviously places that we have to improve on all three phases, and um, the coaches understand that and uh, they definitely are up for the challenge. But um, the thing I've learned in this short time as, as head coach is that consistency is so important. You know, I looked at where we were last year defensively at the end of the season to where we are now. As I look at as our offensive side of the ball, this is the first year for this group to be together. I've seen a lot of bright spots in, in places that we have to improve. And uh, 
you know, the biggest things I told Coach Parker and the staff is that, you know, we have to improve our performance, especially those big games versus good defenses, because um, those are the type of teams that we have to find a way to beat if we want to be a championship program. And so, um, but I believe that, that we have the coaches that um, will help continuously move this performance forward. I think back to my first year as a coordinator and our, our staff, we, we had a great staff and, and I think we finished it when I was at Cincinnati, 90 something in the country. And thank God Coach Fickle didn't make a change, you know, and that he gave me and the staff the ability to work through um, some of the deficiencies that we had and we were able to prove. And so um, that's the same thing I've just reiterated to our coach staff is that I believe the number one thing is the consistency in terms of what we're doing so that our players can continue to um, play at a high level. Um, we will we'll figure out what we have to do to make sure um, that our performances continuously improve. Um, we will never be, I will never be okay with being status quo, with being um, average. Um, I, I want to be the best. And uh, I believe we have a staff that uh, has the same mentality and we now have to continue to find ways to make sure um, when we play in these games that we do have an output that is the best. Look, I can appreciate that desire for consistency. It's something we've talked about on this show now for a couple of weeks. And it is possible that Jared Parker makes progress in the second season. But to me, there is also the issue of the dichotomy in points per game in Notre Dame's wins versus its losses. It's just tough to wrap your mind around the fact that this was an offense that ties the single-season record for touchdowns. It scores 46 points per game in wins and can't even muster half of that in losses. 19 points per game in losses. I mean, that's... That's two totally different teams. It's because you're playing better teams. You're playing better defenses. Right, but you should have some answers for when you play better defenses. And so one wonders, did Marcus Freeman completely slam the door on dismissing Jared Parker? Perhaps not. When you listen to this answer, when Freeman is pressed to explain the reason why Notre Dame's offense sputtered in big games. Schematically, like... Is it something that they did differently against us that we didn't expect? Um, you know, the ability to to make to create change ups. Um, you know, I'll take a deep dive into just those three, four games that that um, we didn't perform um, to the level that we needed to 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 look for cause and effect. You know, I think the biggest thing as I really studied the last two away games between Louisville and Clemson was, you know, how we started the game. You know, we, we didn't start the game. Um, the way we needed to on either phase, right? Offense and defense. But there's also things schematically that that we know that their defense is presented that we didn't do a great job of, of putting them in conflict. Hopefully, as I get a little bit more time, as we're not preparing for just one opponent, I'll be able to really dive deep into those three, four games and say, okay, hey, here's what this defense did to us that we have to make sure we have an answer for. Yeah, that answer was telling. It, it leaves him the opportunity now that if he does his deep dive in whether or not it's this week, next week, or after the bowl game, whatever it may be, that it gives him the opportunity to then come back and say, look, I was planning to do this, but I have to do what's best for our program, and after looking at things, I'm going to make a change. I don't think that's the case. No, I don't think so either, and I think especially when you go back to the Luke Fickle comment that he made in the first answer, the fact that he himself was given a second-year opportunity after a defense that didn't look good at Cincinnati in his first year. 
I think he's going to give Jared Parker that benefit of the doubt. He's hitching his wagon now, though, to Jared Parker in a major way because if next year goes off the rails, it becomes problematic. You are risking all of a sudden it being your job as opposed to your offensive coordinator's job. I'm not saying they would fire him after next year. That's not what I'm saying. But you're putting yourself in a very difficult spot if things don't turn around next year. It may also be after a bowl game when you're playing what should be a better team whether that's LSU or Oklahoma State, and we can look at that a little bit later in the show, after the bowl game, maybe you've got one more piece of evidence that is either convicting or establishes your thought process that, yes, given time, Jared Parker can do better. It's going to be interesting to see. I I'm, I have not been more convinced that he's coming back than I am at this moment right. based on f- the totality of what Marcus Freeman said. I am more convinced than ever after watching Saturday's game against Stanford that maybe Jared Parker is a bit in over his head in this position. Yeah, they scored 56 points, but look, if it, they just they talent won out on Saturday. They ran they ran over. They they were not prepared out of the gate. This is yet another problem. They they were not prepared out of the gate. They Hartman was not good. He was only 8 of 14, fumbled yeah. through one interception. If it wasn't for Audric Estime in the offensive line being better than the opponents, I don't know what happens in that game. But is that Jared Parker or is that an unfocused Sam Hartman? Because well, you, isn't could that... make, you could make the – oh, come on. Sam Hartman's a six-year senior. He's a big boy. I mean, I think sometimes we're a little reticent to point the finger at players. Sam Hartman is a sixth-year senior. You sat next to me and watched the interception that he threw. That's not Jared Parker's coaching. Jared Parker's not saying, hey, let's throw into double coverage on a sideline route. Well, let me ask you this. What would be the reason he's not focused? Is it because he's disgruntled with what is happening behind the scenes and the plays that are called and not liking what is being called? And, And that would be on the coaching. Well, just because you're disgruntled doesn't mean that the coach is wrong. Yeah, that's I guess that's fair. It's it's a weird again, it's a weird line and that these are the things that Freeman will have to look at when he does the deep dive. Why did this happen? Was it player personnel making certain decisions or was it coaching? I go back to this, Chuck. Audric Estime had himself a game here. Yes. I mean, 238 yards rushing in Stanford and you look back and you had three carries in the second half against Clemson. No, I I think there's validity to the claim that Parker can improve. There's no question about that. But I think sometimes players have to take some of the blame. It's not all coaching. If you've got a a six-year quarterback that comes in here, and yes, I'm sure he was disappointed after the loss to Louisville and the performance there and maybe even the play calling in that game. But I think in this era of NIL, it's way too easy to get caught up in the other distractions of what's going on. And when you're a PR machine like Sam Hartman is, I think it's it's really easy to get distracted. All right, while we're talking about Sam Hartman, we might as well point out the fact that Marcus Freeman was asked, do you expect Sam Hartman to play in the bowl game? And he said, 
Well, yeah, uh, that's my expectation. He will meet, Marcus Freeman and his coaches will meet with all those players that are possibilities and not playing the bowl game this week, and they will discuss things. But his expectation is, because in part, Sam Hartman said after the Wake Forest game, he had two games left. That would be Stanford, and that would be the bowl game. I think there's no reason for Sam Hartman not to play. Exactly. He, he needs to play in that game to help him, because would you like your last game Going into the NFL draft to be 8 of 14 with an interception and a fumble? There are only two guys who don't need to play in the bowl game. And their names are Audric Estime and Joe Alt. That's it. That's the list. Everybody else needs to play in the bowl game. Now, well, whether or not they do, that's a different story. But uh that that I think you're I think you're right. And Audric Estime, while we're on the topic, uh Pretty nice night for him against Stanford. 238 yards rushing. That is the fourth best single performance by a Notre Dame running back in Notre Dame history. And then he also has four rushing touchdowns, giving him 18 for the season, which is the single season record for rushing touchdowns in a career. What a game. What an effort for Audrey Gustavus. It's absolutely idiotic that this man is not in the nominees for the Doak Walker Award at the end of the year. So idiotic that I think that it motivated Audric Estime, or at least he seemed to indicate that after the game. I found out the night before. It was pretty hard. It was definitely a goal of mine, but it wasn't at the end. Of, it wasn't the end of the world at that at that point. Uh, we still had some football to play, which all that matters. And I just have a, a bunch of guys that rely on me, so I couldn't shut down no matter what. You just had to keep on going. I had to come in the next day of practice like nothing happened and just keep on rolling. I'm not gonna lie, I de- it definitely fueled me. Um, I definitely feel like I'm one of the best running backs in the country, if not the best. I would definitely want other people to notice, but I feel like after today, I felt like a lot of people would notice. I felt like I was kind of cut short. All right, you guys don't think I'm one of the 10 best in the country, I'm gonna show you. Andre, what does it mean to you to have the single season program record for rushing touchdowns? Uh, it means amazing. Uh, coming into this school, coming in as a freshman, coming in as Notre Dame, I always pride myself when I was saying I'm going to give them something to remember. Uh, I'm going to do something legendary. Having a record like that is, uh, has my name stamped in the history books forever. So that just means amazing. That means amazing for the, the whole offensive line to help me get them. Coach Freeman, Coach Dillon for trusting me and giving me the opportunity to put me in position to be successful. And I'm just thankful to God and everyone who helped me along this way. Roderick is uh, what a, a tough, physical, special football player. You know, obviously he'll have a decision to make here after the season on what he's going to do. I'll tell you what, man, he is a, a, a special talent that is giving Notre Dame everything he, he's had for the past three seasons. So uh, grateful to have him and, and have him be a part of this team. So he finished the regular season with 1,341 yards, which is fifth on Notre Dame's single season list. And he just misses out on the career of going into 11th behind so, some guy named George Gipp on the all-time career rushing list. That. That would be pretty good to get. So maybe maybe he's got reason to play in that bowl game just to pass George Gipp. No, I mean, I don't think he's going to play in that bowl game. But what a game, what an effort. And I think to your point, clearly the Doak Walker thing was definitely on his mind. And I appreciate the fact that he didn't shy away from that. He used it as motivation, and it provided that. Uh, obviously, I don't think you anticipate he'll play in the bowl game, right? I have no reason to anticipate that. I, I don't see any benefit to him playing in the bowl game. When you are a running back, there's only a certain amount of hits that body is prepared to take. Why waste them in a bowl game that, despite what Marcus Freeman indicates, oh, we want to build momentum and this is your last chance to play with your teammates, 
every teammate on that team would understand Audric Estime making a business decision here. If you are one of those old school people that thinks everybody's got to play in the bowl game, you should never leave early, blah, blah, blah. It's just not the way it is anymore. You just have to look. I was there, okay? I saw Jalen Smith have that injury against Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. Jalen Smith cost himself a lot of money playing in that game. Now, should he have played in the game? Yeah, probably. It was Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State. That game meant a lot. But my point is, when you're not playing in the playoffs at this point or in a major bowl game, you really don't have an incentive, especially at the position that Audric Estime is in. I, I, I just don't see any benefit in him doing that unless he had decided he was going to come back next year because they're going to get him a lot of money in NIL. Outside of that, it makes really no sense for him to come back. And the same is true for Joe Alt. I mean, if Joe Alt chooses to play, that's his business. But if he chooses not to play because he says it's really easy as an offensive lineman to get your leg rolled up on and then where does my draft status go, I completely understand that for Joe Alt. So let's close the book on the regular season. And you asked a a poll question over the weekend that I found interesting. You asked which of the three losses for the Irish this year was most disappointing to the fans. And I actually specified it as upset you the most. Yes. I I figured the wording the wording was interesting in this, and you could have asked this question in many different ways, but I want to know which one upset you the most. Ohio State ran away with things. We had 583 votes, 49%, Louisville 31%, Clemson, 20%. And I get it. I get it. I was just a little surprised. I think I think Louisville still upset people the most because it was the one in the moment that you're like, how dare they lose to Louisville? Now, right. it turns out Louisville had a 10-2 season and was, and was a pretty good football team. But in the moment, you didn't really know that. And you're sitting there going, and that's when the playoff hopes were completely dashed. You have yes. no chance at it whatsoever. But... I get the Ohio State one because you had a chance for a program win and you let it slip away in the last seconds. But um, And then Clemson was just its own version of annoyance, right? Because they were, they, they were not playing good football at the time and you lose on the road to a Clemson team that everyone said you should have beaten at that point. Clemson upset me the most because I'm sitting there looking at Ohio State and Louisville before and saying, okay, you should have learned your lesson by now and... They hadn't. They hadn't learned their lesson at all. They still weren't ready to go. But it's interesting to see the comments. I mean, Chad says definitely the Ohio State game because they had that game until the last second. Who knows? It might have changed the outcome of the season. Maybe the loss to Louisville and Clemson doesn't happen. I, I love revisionist history, Chad. I, but I, uh, yeah, I think they lose to Duke if <laughs> if they beat Ohio State. I, that's what my prediction was in the beginning of the year, and I think that w- would have happened because the problems they have haven't been solved. No, uh, to your point, Clemson was they didn't solve those problems, and Marcus Freeman said, "Hey, they found ways to improve." I don't know if they did. They, no. they the same. They, they were a bad road team all year long. Andy Gal won. Ohio State hurt, and it hurt bad. But my dreams were still alive. Losing a top matchup didn't mean we were done. Louisville was a sucker punch I never expected. Clemson still hurt by the point we had already sealed our fate. I I, I can't disagree I, on that. I one. think there's tremendous accuracy there. ND Irish twenty five Ohio State DJ Brown not intercepting that pass. Seeing it live, haunting. Ben Horvath, 
Emotionally, Ohio State. Most frustrating, didn't make sense, they lost, Clemson. And then Fabian, Clemson hands down. Like, how do you lose to a 4-5 and five team? Well, that team shouldn't have been 4-5. and five. That's true, too. So I think it's – look, most people, when you look at the season beforehand, I think we both predicted 10-2. and two. But we were hedging a little bit. We weren't sure. We were leaning between nine and three and ten and two. And I think if you looked at the season, you were going to say, "Okay, they win the nine games they should. They lose to Ohio State. They lose to USC. They lose to Clemson. Clemson wasn't as good as expected, so that one made it disappointing. They housed USC, but then USC falls apart. And then Louisville, obviously, you don't expect to happen as well. So it's a weird season. What's what's the let we say the low light? For, for you, what's the highlight of the season? Well, the highlight of the season, I think, was the win over USC, but that's because you still thought USC was good at that point. So in revisionist history, is that still the highlight of the season? Or is, I don't know if there was a quality. I mean, Duke fell apart, but that was because Riley Leonard got hurt. That might have been the best win of the year. Right. I mean, it was a tr- as it turned out, it was a tremendously light schedule. Yeah, which is weird because it felt like it was going to be a very difficult schedule going in. All right. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I USC either way, I guess, is still the best one. Hey, you can at least see this. You broke the brack of your you, you, you your, beat your rival and you sent them into a tailspin. So yes. Um, now that's the season that was. Let's take a quick glance ahead at a couple of issues that pop up for next year, and, and we'll explore more about this in segment two. But uh, Freeman today did say on going after a fourth quarterback, it's more about making sure they aren't down to just two if someone decides to transfer now rather than a lack of confidence in the guys he currently has. There's a name floating out there, Will Rogers from Mississippi State. He's one of the all-time passers in SEC history. He's going into the portal if you're Notre Dame, you at least have to kick the tires, although I thought Marcus Freeman also made a good point. It's not just about your athletic ability. Are you a fit here into the culture? Well, someone who you would think probably would be a fit might be Riley Leonard over at Duke. He goes to Duke. So you have the... Who academic, just lost their head coach. Who just lost their head coach. We'll talk about that here in the next segment as well. So I think Riley Leonard potentially could be in there. But it's also possible, and Marcus Freeman could just be saying this to keep Steven Jelly and Kenny Minchie engaged. They could just go after a guy who might not be at that Sam Hartman level, might not be even at that Jack Cohn level, might be a step below, just so you have, for lack of a better term, a warm body in the room. An insurance policy. An insurance policy at the end when C.J. Carr is eventually going to come in, but if Kenny Minchie or Steve Angeli don't get the starting job, they decide they're going to leave, and then you're down to two. You don't want to be down to two. The good vibes on Steve Angeli certainly ended in the fourth quarter against Stanford. First pass. First pass, last pass, uh, being an interception. By the way, the transfer portal opens officially on Monday, and this year it's only open for 30 days. Last year it was open for 45, which makes it a real bear for these coaches who are preparing for bowl games or the ones who are preparing for the playoffs. I I don't know how you possibly 
uh, handle December as a head football coach. It's the wild, wild west. All right, still to come, our Focus on Faith conversation with WNDU anchor and countdown to kickoff co-host Terry McFadden, who in early 2024 will retire after a legendary career anchoring the news in the shadow of the Golden Dome. But up next, we'll look at the latest bowl projections and the movement in college football coaches. You're listening to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Football Fix on Pulse FM. Founded in 2001 by brothers Sam and Levi, Reliance has built a reputation for excellence, providing high-quality home building and renovation services to the Michiana area. From single-room renovations like kitchens and bathrooms to building your dream home from the ground up, everything benefits from their decades of experience. From concept to completion, Reliance makes even the largest projects simple and hassle-free. To find out more, visit ReliancedBR.net. Reliance. Design. Build. Renovate. Welcome to the St. Vincent to Paul Society. From providing food and clothing to assisting with bills and offering support, we're here to lend a helping hand during times of crisis. But we can't do it alone. We need your generosity to keep our mission alive. Call us at 574-234-6000 or visit svdpsb.org to learn more about how you can help. The St. Vincent de Paul Society. Together, we can bring hope to those in need. We have reached high school basketball season in Indiana, and that means two 46 games of the week. Our midweek game features Elkhart at South Bend, Washington. See that one Wednesday night at 9 and Thursday afternoon at 2. Then Friday night, it's Jimtown and Concord renewing their rivalry at a loud McEwen gym. That one airs Friday night, 11 and Saturday morning at 9. Both games on your home for high school sports, TV 46. Welcome back to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Football Fix. Chuck Freebie and Angelo DiCarlo with you as we try to look ahead to where Notre Dame may be playing its bowl game, and it really looks like it's going to be in the state of Florida. The only question is, which city? <laughs> Most projected bowl game right now, Notre Dame versus LSU, New Year's Day, ReliQuest Bowl in Tampa at noon. That, of course, would be Notre Dame versus Brian Kelly. You may remember him. But in order for that to happen, you need the Big Ten to have a team in the Orange Bowl, as weird as it is. That's what's got to happen. Basically, here's what it happens. If chaos happens this weekend in the conference championships and somehow both Michigan and Ohio State end up in the playoff, that could ruin the opportunity for Notre Dame and LSU to happen. If it gets ruined, then they'll end up in the Pop-Tarts Bowl in Orlando on December 28th at 5.45 p.m., most likely against Oklahoma State. Um, Obviously. And they played Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl just two years ago. Yes, obviously the more enticing game would be Notre Dame and LSU, and very rare that a Notre Dame coach would get asked about a possible bowl game opponent, but when it's Brian Kelly, Marcus Freeman was asked about that today, and he gave a very diplomatic answer saying, yeah, I mean, that would be interesting, right? And he acknowledged the storylines would be there, but then he... he, he try to tamper it down a little bit and said it'll be about our guys facing a really good team but no doubt if Notre Dame is facing LSU you may get Audrick Estime and Joel to decide to play everybody might decide to play if that's the case well I think Kyle Hamilton and Michael Mayer would come back to Notre Dame and play if it were <laughs> against Brian Kelly but the fact of the matter is I don't think there's any question too that LSU is a tougher opponent for the Irish than Oklahoma State is Jaden Daniels is having a 
season worthy of Heisman consideration, if not the trophy itself. Obviously, he- LSU's defense has been very questionable, but it would be strength against strength. It would be that potent LSU offense with Mike Denbrock as the offensive coordinator, a guy that had some time here at Notre Dame going against Al Golden's defense, assuming that Al Golden's still here. By the way, Jaden Daniels I don't think would play in that bowl game because while it'll mean a lot to Notre Dame, what is what are the incentives for the LSU guys? And, the and that's possible. We saw that last year with South Carolina. Now you mentioned Al Golden. For for a hot minute, I thought he was out of the mix at Syracuse because Dan Mullen was was projected to go there, and then Dan Mullen tweeted at midnight last night, "I'm not going to be the next head coach at Syracuse." So maybe Al Golden's still possibly in the mix there. Maybe Al Golden goes back to the NFL to become a coordinator there. Maybe Al Golden ends up at Duke now that they have an opening. I think Al Golden at Duke is a great fit. I think Al Golden has really enjoyed the intelligence of the football players that he has worked with here at Notre Dame and the fact that they are able to pick things up from him quickly. He was never a fit at Miami, but Duke, oh, I could see Al Golden fitting in very well there. And Duke obviously now open because Mike Elko, former Notre Dame defensive coordinator, going to... Texas A&M to replace Jimbo Fisher, if you recall. He was only defensive coordinator at Notre Dame for one year before becoming defensive coordinator at Texas A&M, and then he took the job at Duke for two seasons, going 16-9. Was reported Kentucky coach Mark Stoops was the A&M pick, but fans didn't like it. They were revolting. Well, I think they liked Mike Elko when he was defensive coordinator there. I think they looked at what he was able to do at Duke with far lesser talent than what you'll be able to get at a place like Texas A&M. And let's face it, those fans at Texas A&M, they got some cash, which gives you cachet, and that has allowed them to dictate a lot of what's going on. And, of course, the interesting thing for Notre Dame fans is, well, if you look at the 2024 schedule, that's where the Irish open the season is in College Station, I think it's the first time they've ever played there against a familiar face in Mike Elko. And, boy, there'd be a test for Jared Parker right out of the gate. Absolutely there would be. And, meanwhile, in the state of Indiana, Indiana has fired Tom Allen. And how about Bruce Feldman putting out – now, it was a laundry list of potential candidates to be the next head coach at IU, but one of them, Tommy I I think some agents called Bruce Feldman, (laughs) and I think Tommy's agent was one of them just to get his name out there. John Gruden's agent was definitely one of them to get his name out there. He is not under consideration for this job. Hey, IU fans, I know you love your basketball team, and I know your football team has given you nothing but grief for years and years and years. Fact of the matter is... That's got to be just about the worst Power 5 job that there is. Especially when you consider the Big Ten is adding UCLA, USC, Washington, and Oregon next year. How is IU ever going to be competitive in the Big Ten? Well, because they're going to get a lot more money than the other Power 5 teams outside of the Big Ten. So they have an opportunity to, if they spend the money properly, to get proper infrastructure around so that yeah they might get beat up in their own conference but 
They should be able to do things properly outside of conference. But they're never going to be competitive within their own conference. Well, they could be competitive against Purdue and Maryland and Rutgers. You just got to get the well, right year. Yeah, right. that would be nice. And then you wind up going, what, 6-6? Six and six? Well, yeah. And you're going to the Motor City Bowl every Tom, year? Tom Allen showed that they could be competitive at different points. So I don't think it's the worst job in Power 5 by any means. Um, I don't think it's the worst job in the Big Ten. Where, where do you think is worse in the Big Ten? Uh, Maryland, Rutgers. I'm not. I mean, I'm not gonna say Purdue's worse. Purdue has football tradition, so I won't say that. I mean, I would say definitely Maryland and Rutgers. And I just think, why is Illinois any better? I, well, I think Maryland and Rutgers at least have made a commitment to football. Well, I, I think that's yes. the problem at Indiana is there hasn't been a commitment to football. Well, they're getting this money, so they should be. And I don't know how this turned into an IU football show, but it's okay. We've aired IU games here on Pulse 7. So, so anyway, besides Tommy Reese, a legitimate person who may take that job would be Chuck Martin, who has had success at Miami of Ohio. And that could open up things for Dylan McCullough to become head coach at Miami of Ohio, which is his alma mater. So there could be some dominoes in effect. See, we tied this all back together in major ways here for New No, Fair. trust me, in the college football world, every move has ripple effects, and those ripples often touch here in South Bend. All right, up next, we are talking faith, family, and broadcasting with the legendary Terry McFadden, who will soon be retiring from behind the WNDU anchor desk. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Football Fix returns right after this. We know you like football. So do we. We're TireRack.com, and this is our version of a two-minute drill, except it's only 30 seconds. TireRack.com has an enormous selection of tires. Not sure which ones to buy? Use our tire decision guide to find the right tires for your vehicle and the way you drive. Then get them shipped fast and free on all orders over $50. Shipping is in as little as one day. Free. TireRack.com ships to independent, recommended installers. TireRack.com. The way tire buying should be. Touchdown! Medicare benefits can be confusing, but they don't have to be. I'm Tony Letcher, licensed insurance agent. Imagine being able to explore all your options. I work with many of the top nationally recognized carriers, and when we shop multiple carriers, you could save the right coverage at the right price. I don't want you to be my client today. I want you to be my client forever. Call Tony Ledger today to schedule a free consultation or visit tledger.com. There's nothing quite like that first taste after the grill master has patiently smoked meat for just the right flavor. That meat will elevate the spread at any tailgate party, fall get-together, birthday, holiday event, wedding, company outing, and more. When you want that meal, contact Cotton Gin Catering. They offer real Texas-style barbecue catering. In fact, they're Michiana's best barbecue catering company. Get all the details at cottongincatering.com. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union serves nonprofits, churches, and schools throughout the United States. They're the go-to people for nonprofit banking. You already share their values. Why not share their benefits? Head to notredamefcu.com slash elevate to learn more. Time now for our Focus on Faith interview with Terry McFadden. Terry is the reigning dean of Michiana Anchors, having been on the air in Michiana for 41 years. He started at WNDU in 1982 as the weekend sports anchor, and if it wasn't for a nepotism clause, he may have never left, but instead he had to go to WSPT to become an anchor, and that's how, Chuck, you got your start at WNDU, so you're probably pretty pleased about that clause. I'm very happy about that, yes. 
<laughs> and then, of course, when the nepotism clause was lifted, Terry returned to WNDU and formed a rare brother-sister anchor team with his sister, Maureen, for two decades. He's a Notre Dame along, as are his three brothers. His wife, Lori, works at Notre Dame. His sons, Michael, Sean, and Charlie, have all graduated from Notre Dame as well. Both of us have had the opportunity to co-anchor with Terry over the years, and he is the consummate professional. Faith, a big component and the story of how the McFadden family came to South Bend, a big part of their faith as well. Here's Focus on Faith with Terry McFadden. All right, T-Mac, uh, let's, let's start with the obvious. Uh, why now? I've been in this business uh, once we hit the new year. It'll be 42 years. I started working at WNDU as a junior in college, my junior year of, at Notre Dame. You know, I'm 62 years old. The business, as you know can be a grind. It can be hard. For 10 years, I worked weekends. Uh, the last 25 years, I've been working nights. I've worked holidays. The last couple of years, I've been thinking seriously about hanging it up. Uh, my wife, Laurie, works at Notre Dame. She's director of student media. She's four years younger than I am, so she'll keep working, so we'll, we'll have an income of sorts uh, uh, for the next you know, three, four years, hopefully. I was, you know, I was really looking for signs the last couple of years, and I was actually praying for signs. And what happened was we had a change, regime change at WNDU. Um, well, let, let's back up. Uh, bef before our general manager at the time left town, he said, hey, let's talk about a long-term deal. And, you know, this was two or three years ago, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm not ready for a long-term deal. I'm, I'm thinking about retiring, and I told him that. And I said, I'm the, I appreciate it, I'm flattered, but I really want to think about this. And I basically came back to him, and I said, uh, if I sign, I, I want to do one-year deals just because I'm thinking about retiring. He said, okay, and next thing I know, he's gone. You get a new general manager, new news director, and they're like, Okay, if that's what you want. Basically, Ron Bartholomew, who's now the general manager of WNDU, said you can stay as long as you want. You can work without a contract. Can't give you a raise, but if you want to work here without a contract, we'll let it. We'll let you. And I said, no, let's, let's do a series of one-year deals, and if after a year I feel comfortable, I'll sign another, and they're, they're fine. I signed a one-year deal back in March of 2023, and in that time, our news director left. We got a new news director um, who made a lot of changes. Um, brought back Josh Short, elevated Melissa Stevens. Instead of having really one anchor team, we had two anchor teams, which I don't have a problem with. I think it's great. That's what they do in the bigger markets. This news director had worked in big markets. And I'm thinking... Is this the sign? Do I sign another year deal come March 2024, or is this it? My wife, you know, I prayed on it. My wife, I talked to her about it. And then something really incredible happened. We found out late in the summer that Lori and I were going to become grandparents about the time my contract expires. And I said, that's the sign. That's the sign I'm looking for. I wasn't 100%, but once I found out I was going to be a grandfather, that was it. I'm done. Family, I know, means so much to you, and part of that was the fact that you got to, to anchor alongside your sister. To our knowledge, Mo and Bro, and nothing like it throughout the country. 25 years anchoring with your sister. When you look back at it, how special was that? 
it was special because obviously no one else had done it. And we had always had a pretty good relationship, thankfully, because we were separated by four or five years in age, and we had a brother, an antagonist brother between us, who we, <laughs> who we, who we both fought with. He, Dennis is a great guy. But, you know, there was, there was always enough separation, and I was supposed to be her little sister, and I wasn't. But she always kind of treated me like her little sister. So we always had a good relationship. So... When it came to work, you know, I, I know there are stories of in other markets where married couples will anchor together, and then you can tell on the air when there's trouble in the marriage because they're not getting along. Maureen and I didn't have that. She had her family, I had my family, and when we came to work, it was like, okay, you and I, we're a team, we're a family, and nobody's going to mess with this family. You know, this is something special, and for years, my dad taped us together, so... That was always special, knowing that he was home watching, and we always put on our best show for him. And even after he died, we, you know, we, we kept on the, the tradition of, of, you know, we're we're South Bend's home team, hometown team. Uh, we took a lot of pride in that. Therefore, we knew we couldn't let petty things get in the way of our relationship, and they never did. You were also part of something that I don't know how many markets can say that they had the same two news anchors, sports director and chief meteorologist for 20-something years, like you had, along with your sister, Mike Hoffman, and Jeff Jeffers. How neat is it to have the longevity that that fearsome foursome had? I think it's incredible in so many ways, but in particular, it, it, sh it shows the viewers, the news and sports and weather consumers of, of Michiana that um, there's a consistency there where you would have you know changes every couple of years at the other affiliates, uh, some to a larger degree than others. But WNDU, when you turned it on, there was Jeff, Mike, Terry, and Mo always together. And you do that for two, two and a half decades. I, I think that is, again, the news, sports, and weather consumer can appreciate and realize that they're there for a reason because they've gained the trust of this, this community. They're stand-up people. These are the people I want to get my news from, especially knowing that the two people reading the news were born and raised here. What was it like sitting in the newsroom next to Jeff Jeffers for so many years? Uh, I know the answer to this question, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say. It was kind of like sitting next to Uncle Buck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Jeff was, well, there's, uh, th there was nobody like Jeff. You know, one brown sock, one blue sock, food stain on his shirt. But I'll tell you, I've known a lot of people in my life in a lot of different professions Jeff was one of the most intelligent people I have ever met. The guy had a mind like a steel trap. He could hear somebody give a speech and he could repeat it like that. He, he didn't have to take notes. That's how good it was. So it was like, it was almost like sitting next to this person who was really, it was almost like he was pretending that he uh, wasn't in the game with everybody. But you knew he was. But that was what was made him so lovable was that he was this, like I said, he was like an Uncle Buck figure. And, and he, you wouldn't expect a level of intelligence and talent from somebody who, who couldn't tie his own shoes sometime. But it, it was wonderful. And he would always ask me about my wife. He'd ask me about the kids. He'd ask about my parents. Um, he was always interested in what was going on in your life. That's why we became good friends. That's why every... Christmas Eve, he would come over with a bottle of Irish whiskey, and I'd have a bottle of Jim Beam waiting for him because 
we, we started these traditions, and, and I miss him. I miss him every day. He's a good man. Terry McFadden joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Football Fix as we talk faith, family, and broadcasting. Uh, let's talk a little bit about family. You and Mo and your siblings all born and raised in South Bend, but your parents were not here. What brought the McFaddens to South Bend? Well, my mom and dad were raised in the Grand Haven, Michigan area, which is a resort town just east of Grand Rapids on the lake. And my father, uh, when he was in high school, he was not the best student. He dropped out of high school, joined the Marines. Uh, He got scarlet fever while he was in the Marines. They gave him a discharge, but he remained in the reserve. So he went back to Grand Haven High School, graduated. He was two years ahead of my mom uh, in high school. But by the time he got back and re-enrolled, they ended up being classmates because he was out a couple of years for various reasons. Um, and so what happened was they became boyfriend and girlfriend, and then the Korean War breaks out. And my dad gets called back. He gets to sent to Korea. He's in the Marines again. And in 1951, he was in a trench line resisting a Chinese offensive in the middle of the night. And he looked down and for some reason just, saw this hand grenade, he picked it up, and he went to chuck it back, and as he released it, it blew part of his left hand off. Now, the little backstory here is, is at the time he got called back to the Marines, he was at the Kendall School of Design in Grand Rapids. My dad was a fairly accomplished artist, even at a young age, and he wanted to someday design cars for Ford Motor Company. He was a big Ford Motor Company fan. Well, after that, um, they ended up amputating what was left of his hand. It turns out he could, he could draw with his right hand, and he was still very good at it, but he never felt he was good enough to do it. So he's in Oakland at the Naval Hospital recovering, going through rehab. They're, they're fitting him for prosthetics and all that. And I don't know if he called my mom or my mom called him, and he said, well, you coming to visit? And she said, well, are you going to marry me? And he pretty much said, well, is that the deal? You won't come out? And she said, yeah, I'll come out if you marry me. She went out to California. They got married and then settled back in Grand Haven temporarily. I think he was delivering mail for a while. And one of his old friends who owned a pharmacy, who he respected, said, Vic, what are you going to do? And he's like, oh, I'm not sure. He said, you know, I wanted to draw, but I don't think I'm good enough. He said, well, how about college? He goes, well... I'd love to go to Notre Dame. He said, well, I know somebody at Notre Dame. And so they took my dad down there. I don't know who they introduced him to, but they said, well, go ahead and apply. He applied and was accepted and went to Notre Dame on the GI Bill. So he and my mother lived, moved to South Bend. They lived in Vetville, which was the area where the library is right now, which was married student housing. It was basically old Quonset huts that they had turned into married student housing. And Four of my siblings were born in Vetville. My dad graduated in 56, undergrad, stayed, and got his law degree in 59. Now, by the time I was born in 1960, they had bought a house on East LaSalle Street, not far from where you live, Ange, and that's where I was born. And my dad practiced law in South Bend uh, until he got sick and died in 2003. But that's why how we ended up here in South Bend. How important was faith growing up in the McFadden household? Oh, we did not miss Sunday Mass. We lived, you know, within a mile of 
South Bend St. Joe Parish, where we are parishioners today, and I know you and Molly and Lily go there as well. I was an altar boy from fifth through eighth grade. I can remember being upset because the week of spring break, I had to do the mass at 7 a.m. every morning. I thought, my week to sleep in, and now I have to go. Uh, I have to get up every morning at 6 to to be uh, to serve mass with with Father Gerton or Father Green or who was ever there, but yeah, it you know you, you learn at an early age to sacrifice, and that was one of the sacrifices I suppose I made. But yeah, uh, religion's always been very important in my life, uh, and my parents made sure that you know you know even if we didn't want to go to church, we went to church, and that's the way we are with our kids now. Um, now, obviously, if they're grown out of the house, you can't force them to go. But when they were young kids, we, we took them to Mass and, and sort of indoctrinated them. And, and they're all, I think, fairly good Christian Catholic kids. The thing is, is that the church that, that we worship in is the same church I worshiped in as a little boy. I served Mass on that altar. I've, you know, I've walked down that, that middle aisle holding, holding the tall crucifix on the staff. Um, it's, so it's comforting. You have a special relationship with Digger Phelps, a longtime neighbor of yours. Uh, put in perspective what, what that's like growing up uh, with, with Digger Phelps as a good friend and a neighbor. We had already been in Harder Heights for a few years, and then he took the head coaching job in 70, 1971, I believe. And he had three young children at the time, and my mom and dad had older children, and so they nat- Digger and Terry – naturally gravitated to my parents you know they figured my parents were experienced at raising kids and they would often seek their advice and then when you know when Digger and Terry often were on the road with the basketball team we would watch their kids they would either stay at our house or you know go over there and babysit and so we developed this relationship and then my dad put a pool in the backyard and Digger would bring the kids over and they learned to swim in our backyard the relationship grew and then as we got older you know Digger would have these bench passes and he would give my brothers and I would sit uh, behind the bench for some of the biggest games uh, Notre Dame's played. I, I was there when they beat San Francisco. Uh, I think it was a 29-game winning streak they snapped. Uh, I was there for the North Carolina game where, where they were number one and, and beat them. So that was the kind of relationship we developed with Digger. Uh, and, of course, he and his family – would come over every Christmas Eve because the McFadden Christmas Eve parties were notorious for being rowdy, <laughs> and and Digger would do that would 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 come over and and with his family, and we have video of of his young daughter Jennifer playing the drums to the little drummer boy. Um, also, before some of the bigger games, Digger would come over to our house and have coffee before he went to the Joyce Center. And our whole family would be having breakfast, and my mom and dad would be bickering. I'd be fighting with my brothers, and Digger would sit there and just laugh. He's like, if I can get through this, I can get through anything at the ACC. <laughs> you, you and Mo got to interview Father Ted a lot. Um, your family had a special relationship with him. We went all out the day of his funeral, rightfully so, of course. But then that same day, you know, as, as we were doing coverage, your mom passes away. What, what was that? day like well my mom's health had been failing and she had begun to develop dementia thank goodness it had never developed to the point where she didn't know who we were she just wasn't sure what year it was what day it was but she always called us by name she was 
with some other people at, at, at the home she was in, the assisted living facility, and they were watching the coverage of Father Ted's funeral. And they were watching my sister and me broadcast this because they knew, hey, they're not going to put another channel on Bonnie McFadden's. We're not going to put on the other stations. We're going to watch WNDU's coverage of it. So she was watching it. During the coverage, uh, They just somebody looked over and noticed that she wasn't moving. And she pretty much coded sitting at that table watching. Now, they rushed her to the hospital, tried to revive her. They couldn't. We think she had a stroke and died there watching the coverage, watching her two kids deliver the coverage of Father Hesburgh. And I always tell people, I think she was watching that, saying, you know, Father Ted is getting into heaven today. I know him. I think he could probably get me in on his ticket. And I think my mom thought, this is a good time to go. If Ted's going in today, Father Ted's going in today, I'm going in today with him. Can you put in perspective, as we wrap things up, what Notre Dame then means to, to your family? Well, I, it means everything. It's the reason we're here, and the goodness of Notre Dame, the power of Notre Dame, is the reason my parents didn't leave. They realized they had a good thing when they were here. They could have gone to Grand Rapids, which is a fabulous city, and they would have been your family and friends, but there was something about Notre Dame that had gotten into their hearts and their souls and was not going to let them leave, and I have... Four siblings. The four boys all went to Notre Dame. My sister went to St. Mary's. My wife, who is a Missouri journalism grad, has worked at Notre Dame for 22 years. All three of my boys are Notre Dame graduates. Uh, it was providential that the McFadden's were to move home base from Grand Haven, Michigan, to South Bend, Indiana. And I think it was the pull of the Lord um, and our faith that brought us here. God did not want Vic McFadden to die on a hill in South Korea. He wanted Vic McFadden to come here back. He wanted Vic McFadden to come back with Bonnie and raise a family in the Catholic faith. And that's what happened. Things happen for a reason. And I don't mean to get terribly emotional here. When I look at my own career path, you know, I was headed to law school and I didn't get accepted to Notre Dame. I'd gotten accepted to two schools in Toledo, or in Ohio, Toledo and Dayton. And I wasn't really sure I wanted to go. And my, at this time, I was already working at WNDU as a college student. And my dad said to me, don't become a lawyer because I'm a lawyer or your brother's a lawyer. I know some lawyers who are starving. He goes, listen, give TV a shot. If you don't like it, you can always go to law school. Best advice I ever got. I listened to my father. And that's why I'm still here and why I'm retiring after 42 years in the business in South Bend at WNDU. Terry, thank you very much. Anj, always a pleasure. And the years we got to spend together at WNDU were some of the finest and funnest. Appreciate you. I think it's fair to say you and I both love the guy. Yes. I'm, I'm not sure we heard anything all that surprising, but uh, – the story of Vic McFadden is tremendous. And then to hear the digger stories, anytime you're hearing digger stories from somebody else, it's great. <laughs>
I will say this. Terry McFadden is the best journalist I think I've ever had the chance to work with. I think I learned so much by sitting two seats away from him for 11 years. Uh, he's just he's the pro's pro. And I was blessed. I am a better journalist because I sat two seats away from Terry McFadden. He helped so many people in his 40 years, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. He is truly uh, deserving of that moniker of being a legend. And especially in these last 10 years when he has been as much a teacher yes. as an anchor with the, the youth that has come in the door at WNDU. All right, that'll do it for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Football Fix, Notre Dame FCU, where you bank does banner. We Be sure to join us this week as we begin our high school basketball broadcast season. See the live stream of Washington Elkhart Tuesday night on the WHME 46 Sports Facebook and YouTube accounts, or watch it Wednesday at 9 p.m. or Thursday at 2 p.m. on WHME TV 46. Then on Friday night, it's Concord playing host to Jimtown. You'll see that Friday night 11 or Saturday morning at 9 on TV 46. Now, no show from us next week. This is our final show of the regular season. Our bowl special is Monday, December 18th at 7 p.m. here on Pulse FM. Until then, thanks for listening to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Football Fix. You've been listening to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Football Fix. You already share their values. Why not share in their benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Also powered by St. Vincent de Paul Society. Health Markets Tony Letcher. Reliance. Cotton Gin Barbecue Supply Company. And Tire Rack. Executive produced by Corey Mann. Engineered by Thad Hunsberger. Your hosts are Chuck Freebie and Angelo DiCarlo. Also available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.